Blog Talk Radio. Oh, sorry. You got to accentuate the positive evening. Mine the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You gotta spread joy up to the maximum. Bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith. A pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of Positively Affirmative. This is the show where we affirm you, our listening audience, with education, information, and resources in the areas of self-care, career development, business building, and wealth consciousness, challenges, and solutions. I am your host, Katrina Jones, Prosperity Life Coach of Satari Life Skills Institute. And in case you cannot listen to the entire broadcast, you can visit my website at prosperitylifecoach.com for more coaching resources. Today, our show topic is remembering why we do the work of service and how we can be more effective. This show is for helping professionals who provide direct care services, whether it be social services, case management, resident services, health care, or education. doesn't matter. We want to welcome to our show Eva Ford, and um, she is going to provide us with some valuable tips and tools that can be incorporated into our professional practice. Uh, We will explore how to use the ethics or how we will explore how to use the the tools that can be uh, incorporated into our, our professional practice, but we will explore how to use the ethics that help us to become effective workers able to set healthy boundaries and reduce burnout. Eva is a sought-after trainer and motivator. She has worked at various governmental, non-governmental, private, and corporate organizations, helping them to build their intrapersonal and interpersonal skills. When she's not taking on new challenges, you can find her representing the Jamaica Association of Social Workers, connecting with new and interesting people or or subscribing in yet another irresistible business or self-help blog. Her first book, How Not to Practice Social Work, has been called the Self-Care Survival Reference Guide for Helping Professionals, and it is available on Amazon and CreateSpace.com. Eva, she wants to live in a world where love is the international religion, where work equals play, and conscious capitalism eradicates all traces of poverty. Wow. Eva, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being on, a guest on our show today. You're welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me. You are welcome. Now, Eva, I know that you um, are um, 
a master, you are a master, have a master, or no, you are a social worker, and you have to let us know what your your title is. Um, but I, I want to ask you, um, just just tell us just a little bit about yourself, even though you know I, I read your bio. Just just tell us just a little about yourself, to our audience. Okay, it's <laughs> always like the question. You know, when you're going for a job interview, that's the dreaded question. People don't want to be asked about this. <laughs> like, what do you what do you say? But um, you know, I would I would just say that I am a I'm a learner, and uh, mm-hmm. that's probably yeah the thing that I love the most is just to learn. I love to learn about people. I love to learn about cultures and you know, why things are the way they are. Um, so kind of like a uh, human engineer, I suppose. Um, mm. I have, you know, I have a great dad. I have a stepmom. I actually lost my mom when I was very young, and that, that probably helped to shape my interest in just, you know, life. And for me, making sure that the time I have on this earth is something that I you know, I feel with love and friends and, and things that I really want to do. So um, that's it. I live in Jamaica right now, although I am, um, my mom was Jamaican, but I was born here in the States and um, moved to Jamaica just for that, you know, adventure, uh, learning mm-hmm. about culture that I hadn't grown up with and I did not to stay a little while and that was nine years ago. So, <laughs> so okay. that's Okay. You know, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about yourself because it's been my um, belief that usually people who go into the helping field usually do so because of experiences that they have had um, and how exactly. and they want to help other people to to live better lives. Exactly. I think I think that's true. I think that's true. I think um, in the book I talk about how, you know, the, the beauty of social work that I see is that it's a profession that not only has the power to help transform someone else's life, but it mm-hmm. has the power to transform your life, you know, the practitioner, the social worker, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to first uh, con- kind of confront what's going on for you. And not only why mm-hmm. you're in this profession, well, you know, your humanity, your sense of self, um, you have to do that successfully for yourself so that you can be able to extend that to someone else. I, I like Correct. that. I like, yeah, I like that. Well, um, <clears throat> you know, what what specifically led you to a career in social work? Oh, you know, people ask me that, and... Um, it's funny. I think indecision, like not having a clue about what I wanted to do with life. Uh, I didn't not I didn't even consider social work actually, but um I grew up in a family that was big on education. And so, you know, you go to grade school, of course, to high school, then you go from high school, you go to college, and then from college you get your masters. Like that's just what we do. You you just you just kind of um, you just continue to to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. So when I got to college, I knew I was supposed to be there because that was you know I was following the plan. But I I 
hadn't considered what I would do with my life. So that was a bit traumatic. And um, I thought about psychology, but I'm kind of a, you know, a bit of a bubbly person, I suppose. And I didn't, I couldn't see myself kind of, you know, just sitting down every day, all day. So I, I, I was lost for two years. I just took, you know, general basic courses and I was just really, you know, lost. And a girlfriend of mine said to me, you know, Eva, why don't you try social work? And of course, you know, Everybody, a lot of people think, you know, when they hear social work, they think, you know, okay, you take kids away from their families. And, so, and I had actually been reading a series of junior high books, and that that's exactly what the social worker's role was, you know, to kind of keep moving this girl around. And I said, I don't want to do that. That's, that's not, that's not what I imagined doing for my life. So she said, absolutely not. You know, social workers do so much more than that. And the good thing is, if you don't like it, it's easy to move into another field when you find the field that you like. But she said, you know, I think you'd be a good social worker. So I said, oh, well, I've exhausted all of my general courses, so let me just give it a try. try. And um, I was so amazed. When I, my first class, I was hooked. I was hooked. And, you know, the teacher just explained what the profession was about and, you know, mm-hmm. how it was a helping profession. And that was it. Like, <laughs> it was, to wow. me, it was like, how come I, it's taken me so long to find this? How come no one was, you know, shouting this from the mountaintops that I could be, you know, the, the social butterfly that I was and get paid <laughs> for it? How come nobody told me this? I was just, I was floored. And I was, even now, I'm just... <laughs> Even now, I feel exactly the same. I just, I just love the profession because it's just, it's so humane. I think it's just so germane to who we are as human beings. Um, it, but it's just backed up with science. So uh, that's a long, a long explanation. <laughs> that's, okay, how I got no, that's how I got okay. into social work. Okay. Well, you know, explain to us, you know, a little bit about because about what social work is, because I think many perceptions about what a social worker is or what social workers do, the perception can often be a negative perception. So, you know, yeah. to enlighten us about what is social work. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say, I, uh, in the book I go into detail about, well, not too mm-hmm. much detail, but I do make the distinction between what social worker is and what social work is and what it is not. And, you know, I think in a, in a nutshell, like I said, the idea of social work is to better another person, better society. Um, you know, that, that looks like different activities in different situations. So, you know, I could be a social worker and I could work with, um, children who are disabled, and mm-hmm. my day activities might look like, um, let's say, you know, helping a child in a wheelchair or helping them gain access to, let's say, social services that can help them get to and from school or helping their parents cope with their illness. Um, that could be my role as a social worker. Or I could even work in that same population or, you know, in that same in that same population, but I might be looking at um, 
administrative or maybe city codes as it relates to disabled children or disabled people. So making sure that there are ramps and making, you know, where, you know, to get in and out of buildings or, you know, mm-hmm. working along with the officials to make sure that our laws and our policies are friendly to those who are not equally able. So as a social worker, I could do any number of activities. Um, because, like I said, the, the goal is really to, to help individuals and help society. Now, I have to say, um, and I've learned this from a, a conference I recently attended, but in the U.K. and in Canada and in the U.S. and in, let's say, China and other parts of Asia, we have slightly different variations of what we call social work. So like in the mm-hmm. U.K., you would call, you know, any anything dealing with direct practice, an individual is called social work. If, however, you're working in a community, let's say to help the community gain better access or um, fix their road, you wouldn't be called a social worker. So there's there's some difference in technicality. The same thing mm-hmm. is in, in parts of Asia. Social work looks different depending on the population you're working with. So, but but I think ultimately, internationally, um, the, mm-hmm. the broad definition speaks to help people in situations to improve their status, and to I think equality is always a central theme of social work. So, um, helping people to gain equal access, equal rights, um, equal views, equality is is always a major theme. Hmm. And and I like that, um, and I appreciate that definition, um, because listening to that definition, what I hear is that I don't necessarily, you know, I'm I'm if I'm a social worker, I'm affecting people in positive ways, but I'm not always necessarily doing direct care. As a social worker, I can be doing administrative tasks to help the community or or the greater population. Um, so I'm hearing that I could do I could be working directly with people, or I could be affecting policy and 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 rules and laws as it relates to people's uh, uh, best interest, people's welfare and people's standards of living. Absolutely, and, and I have to yeah. say though, you know, where people get kind of caught up is in um, the term social work, social worker, because it's it's. It's the profession, and just like I always say, you know, just like you can't call a nurse a doctor, even though a nurse does some of the same things that a doctor does, um, mm-hmm. call that person a doctor because they haven't gone through the process of becoming a doctor. They've gone through the process of becoming a nurse. The so same thing with social work, even though it is helping, and we all help in some way, you know, Every day, pretty much, I would say. We all help someone or something. But the difference is a social worker has gone through the process of qualifying to help and, you know, qualifying how they help. So um, the example I use sometimes is, is you know, let's say there's a someone that uh, is a poor child. A poor child in New York City versus poor child in Iraq or Afghanistan. You're going you're not going to help that child in the same way. You wouldn't help 
the family in the same way. There's a science behind how you go about helping, how you go about understanding that person's environment, their mental state, their needs. Um, there's an art to listening to that person and understanding their world and approaching that person so that the help that you give is something that they can receive as opposed to just something constructed from a textbook. And, you know, the textbook says, you know, this is how you help, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. It's not like that. It's really, it's like I said, it's, it's a science. There's a science behind it. So when people call themselves social workers, um, they really should have that professional qualification to back it up. Hmm. Now, can a person get those qualifications by doing on-the-job training, or are there, you know, specific sets of coursework that are required um, in order for one to label themselves as a social worker? Yeah, you can't. Well, that's the thing. You can't label yourself. You have to. You have to, and the training, um, you can get on-the-job practice while you're in uh, a registered program. But like I said, it comes with, you know, a certification behind it, so a bachelor's Ooh. or a master's. And as a matter of fact, um, there, you know, even in throughout the world, there might be uh, six-month courses or, you know, as introductions to social work but you cannot call yourself a social worker by, you know, legally, um, unless you've gone through a four-year course, three, three to four-year course, you know, as long as um, they meet the international standards. Um, course in, when I say a course, I mean like a bachelor's degree. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, and that includes coursework. It also includes on-the-job interactions and training, because you have to practice. Just like a doctor has to do a residency, social workers mm-hmm. have to do all field work or practicum. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. Eva, I read your book, um, How Not to Practice Social Work, and I really, really enjoyed it, because it gave a lot of practical tools and and techniques uh, that would allow one to um, practice within certain boundaries um, is what I got out of it. But I want to ask you, what inspired you to write your book? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I... I, okay, this is going back to, you know, living in Jamaica and although I'm an American citizen and uh, kind of at the time not being entirely happy with my job, I was teaching. And as much as I enjoyed teaching, you know, I'm a trained social worker. And so I was, you know, we don't necessarily do things, uh, routinely, you know, all the time. We're we're up, we're out, we're engaging with different people, um, we're you know, we're reading and um we're in, enhancing our knowledge base. And I found myself in a rut, in this teaching rut. And I'm teaching social work but I wasn't doing social work. So there was you know, I was really torn. And um so I quit my job. <laughs> I quit my job and I started I just it gave me time to just read, 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 and just kind of fill myself back up with 
what I knew I needed at the time. And at the time, I needed not so much to help someone else. I needed help. I was burnt out. I was dry. (laughs) I was so, I don't know, disillusioned. I was just really tired. I was just tired. But I knew I still had this love and this passion for this profession and for the people that I was working with. Um, But I I was just tired. So I started reading a lot of books, um, self-help books and money growth books and, you know, wealth consciousness books. And and I found some great inspiration in them. And I found some great advice in them. Um, At the same time, I was getting all of these kind of desperate calls and emails from my former students asking for jobs, you know, or they've graduated, they don't know what to do with their lives, they're depressed. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I felt like, boy, I I don't know how much I can help you except, you know, read this book. I just read this book. It's really good, you know, or, you know, I, I just learned this bit of information from this other book and you should keep your head up, you know, kind of kind of philosophy. And I just I had an awareness that my students and that my colleagues that I was even engaging with were kind of feeling like I was. You know, they were feeling kind of hopeless and helpless and broke, and not able to find any real excitement in their lives or any kind of reason to to go on. And they wanted to do this social work work, but they were just, you know, not, they were a bit disillusioned. So I, I you know, out of just that, gaining that knowledge from the books I was reading, I started writing. And um, I can't even tell you, that I could write this book again if I had to today because I wrote it when I was in a place where I was looking for answers and I was finding answers, but I was also um, wanted to share as immediately as possible those answers with people that uh, were kind of reaching out to me. So so that's kind of how the book came up. Um, you know, I I noticed that Social workers were kind of snapping at their clients, you know, something they shouldn't do. But they were snapping at their clients because they themselves were missing something for themselves or they were falling mm-hmm. asleep on their clients or they weren't following up the way they should. So so that's mm-hmm. why the title, How Not to Practice Social Work. And um, as you, you know, since you would have read the book, you know that it's really less about, you know, the practice and more about, professional themselves. Right, and and that that was one thing I loved about it. But, you know, another part of the the second half of that title is saving good people from bad practice, you Uh know. And uh, and I want to ask you to, to, and you kind of went into it, you know, a little bit, but I want to ask you to kind of go into a a little bit more about what you mean by that. Okay, right. Same, okay, well, same thing. Um. In that mm-hmm. the people that I saw reaching out to me were, you know, decent people, good people. They wanted to help others, and they wanted, you know, they wanted to be good professionals and professional. They wanted to behave in professional manners, but they weren't. And you know, I so that's that's how we came up with the the, the subtitle. You know, saving good people mm-hmm. from bad practice. 
you could be, you could have all the good intentions in the world, but if you are not, um, in a ha- if, if you're not in a good space yourself, yeah. you're going to more than likely do harm, even if inadvertently, you may do harm to someone else. So that's mm-hmm. that's, the, that's why the subtitle is the way it is. I, I really I really like that. I remember when I was going to school for my associate's degree in mental health technology, one of the uh you know, one of the, the thoughts or the ideas that the teachers just went went you know, just expressed to us over and over and over again was the importance of taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you talk a lot towards that, um, because um you know, what I what I what I get out of um, your, your your book is the importance of following um, a code of ethics, and the and the importance of having um, a set of guidelines that you that you work up under, you know, mm-hmm. and that those those guidelines are there not only to help me as a professional, but to help you know the the client or the person that I'm. I'm working with, and 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 so in saying that, I, I want to ask you, you know, what what are ethics, and and why do they matter? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, I and I would say that there's, you know, I think every most professions anyway have mm-hmm. a set of guidelines that uh, guide how the people in that profession should behave, okay. and I think especially. If you're working with people, um, you know, with the premise of being an example for those people, <laughs> helping those people, that you absolutely have to have this code of ethics. And, it, you know, like like I said, it's just a, a guide to help. Um, standardize is a, bit, is a bit rigid, but just to help guide behavior. Um, it, it, you know, there's social workers or you know, helping professionals, not just social workers, but helping yes. professionals are all over the world, um, all different cultures, all different languages, and, you know, words have different meanings in different languages and different connotations. So as long as we have some guiding principles, respect, you know, um, recognizing the worth and dignity of every person, um, you know, maintaining confidentiality so that if my client tells me something in confidence, I'm not going to, you know, destroy their confidence and tell someone else. Of course, unless they're going to hurt themselves or someone else. So, you know, those are just basic kind of guiding principles that we think are important um, in the profession to have. Um, But there are also kind of universal principles just on how to treat people um, that that cross cross boundaries of various professions. So that's I thought it was important to get into the book though because it's important to ground us and to ground an understanding of how we treat people. So mm-hmm. it's not just my you know it's not just my quirky ideas. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, by the way, <laughs> there's this code that we actually say that we adhere to. So here it is. And mm-hmm. all that I'm doing is really just trying to uh, remind us of the pledge that we made 
to help others and make sure that we ourselves are are healthy enough to do that. Oh. <clears throat> I like that. And you know, as as I as I, you know, went through the book, even though a lot of the uh information was to help us to ground ourselves as we work with others, a lot of those principles, you know, you encourage us to look at ourselves, to ask ourselves the question, are we using these principles with ourselves? Um, again, that self-care theme uh, kept coming across. <laughs> and I, I love how affirmations, quotes, and, and various philosophies uh, show up throughout throughout your book. Um, and, and I want to ask you, do you – you know, do you ascribe to the disease model that, that sees people as, as broken and, and, and ill or, you know, not quite whole? Or, or are you, you know, do you subscribe more to positive psychology, which views um, individuals as whole and, and well? Um, well, <laughs> I'd say that's an interesting question. And, and I would say that. Um, I definitely would lean more toward positive psychology. Um, but I, you know, I would also say that I, I, we are dynamic, yeah, human beings. We're mm-hmm. so dynamic. So I think that, um, you know, there's that age-old question, nurture versus nature. It, you know, does the environment shape who we are or is it more of a, a genetic thing? And I think um, I think science has actually come up to say both, you know, both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think for me, the affirmations, they help me. And they just remind me that, you know, there's so much inside of us. Um, you can find affirmations for almost anything, um, you know, for success, affirmations for um, believing in yourself or for self-efficacy. You can find affirmations for almost anything. And I, I, I know the power of thought, and I know the power mm-hmm. of repetition, and I know the power mm-hmm. of um, incantation. So when you say something... And you don't just say, okay, I am beautiful. You say, I am beautiful. And, you know, you, you encant it you over and over. And you, you, in, you have your body engaged in this, in this affirmation. And, you know, you, you're standing up or you're jumping up and down. That's, you know, encanting. I understand the power of that. And not only is it powerful on a, let's say, an auditory level, but it's powerful on a cellular level it's powerful on a universal level. So I get that we can control a bit of our destiny. And mm-hmm. these affirmations and things are ways to kind of help us. So I think the person that is, I, like you said, I don't subscribe to the disease model, but I also believe that as we you know, do these conscious activities that help us to think in a more positive way, we actually help to change our mindset from, even if it's not disease, let's say, let's say we're just kind of floating through life, you know, me- mediocre. 
um, but when we do these different activities, we actually can improve our lives and improve our situations. So I subscribe to that 100%. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really loving is how science is beginning to validate what a lot of us have intuitively known about the, the power of um, right thinking, <laughs> you know, the, the power of, uh, you know, using our words um, in ways that uh, bring out the best in who we are and, and, and all of that, uh, you know, science and, and um, you know, science is coming, to get, you know, is coming in alignment with, um, you know, what, what, what we've known for, for forever. Now, in the book, you, you, you give us a lot of tools, a lot of practical tools that we can use um, as helping professionals uh, to uh, reduce burnout and to um, uh, improve uh, our, our energy and our self-awareness. But I want to ask you, in your forward, in the forward of your book, you, re- you talked about, you thanked your mastermind group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, whenever I do these shows, I try to load my listeners with resources and, and topics and, and, and information that they can apply in order to change their lives and, and have the type of lives that they want. And when I, when I read you your thank you to your mastermind group, I, I just thought that was phenomenal. And I want to ask you to explain to us what is a mastermind group and what is the significance? Okay, okay, I tell you what. I have to say, I'm I'm mm-hmm. laughing a bit um, because my mastermind group is the greatest, and and really, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a group of people that um, for me are smarter than me. Um, you know, they're they're more successful than me. They're um, they're more. They've kind of been through a lot more than I have in terms of you know. Um, uh, let's say business mastery, or maybe not even business mastery, but personal mastery, or they're they're on the journey as well. And but I think in general, what did you say something? Go ahead, I'm listening. Okay. okay, in general, a mastermind is a group of people that are, um, I would say, forward thinking. Um, they're 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 there to kind of help encourage you and help encourage one another. Um, I know that different mastermind groups take on different formats. My mastermind group is a group of, um, there are six of us, and I'm the only female. And um, But I have to say, the, the way that we work um, together is it's very, it's social, but there's so much rich information. So, like, whenever we come in, we've always, you know, most all of us have been reading something, maybe two or three books. And so we're just, you know, quick to tell each other, oh, I read this great book and it has this information and I applied this and you should apply this, you know, based on what you're doing. And um, so it's been, it's been instrumental for me that, to have that group of people that support me no matter what. If I say, 
hey, guys, you know, there's this new product. I think I want to try it. They're going to give me their honest opinion. So, hey, Eva, I think you should go for it. That's a good idea. I'll support you. Or, you know what, Eva, have you looked at this or have you considered that? And so having those other five uh, people in the room has been a great resource for me. I can call on them at any time. And um, I can share things with them and talk to them about things that maybe I can't talk to um, with other people who maybe aren't in that same uh, forward-thinking mindset. I have to say, everybody needs a mastermind or some group of people that can support them in that way. But I would also say that it took me a while to find my group because um, we use words like... uh, universal forces, and um, we don't say can't, um, and we're, we're always very positive with our language. And, you know, we, we really don't allow each other to speak negatively. So it took me a while to find people who were already on that path, um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make sure I had the right people in the room. Um, because I'm the one that, I say I wanted to, only because <laughs> I'm the one that kind of brought the group together. But, you know, now we we continue um, we continue weekly or as often as we can, I should say. So, okay. so yeah, that's, yeah, my group is, they're great. They're awesome. And they've made wow. me, they've, they've made me, um, yeah, they were, they were just even very instrumental in helping me to, you know, get the confidence to write the book. So it's been good. Okay. So I hear you saying that a mastermind group can be a, a, a group of people that have developed a trust in each other. Uh, they provide accountability. Uh, they provide a, a, a honesty with each other. But most importantly, they are positive thinkers. And even though each individual may be on their own uh, track, they may have their own set of goals that may look differently than yours, the way that they go about reaching those goals are in alignment. Everybody's way of reaching those goals are in alignment um, as far as how they think and how they process and and the tools that they use um, to um, to move forward. Does that sound right? You said that better than I did. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's good because, I, you know, I'm always encouraging my listeners to get involved in in in, in groups and to uh, find mentors, someone to mentor them or to be a mentor. So when I read that, it just really resonated with me and, and stood out. So uh, thank you for that. Now, you're your book is divided into four sections, uh, the person, the practice, the profession, and the point. Can you touch just a little on each of these areas as it relates to helping professionals? Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> I actually, I didn't have it written in any kind of, organized in any kind of way, but my girlfriend was doing some proofing for me, and she said, ah, you know, it's kind of all over the place. So I kind of sat down and, and looked at, you know, what the components of it were. And, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, when I came into the profession, 
and I think maybe in most professions, you know, when you get an introduction, they talk to you about the profession. You know, they don't necessarily talk to you about who you need to be until after you understand about this profession. So, you know, to, to you know, as an engineer, okay, this is what engineering is. Engineering, you know, um, you know, you may work with, you know, of course, you're going to work with machines. You may work with uh, mechanics, things like that. But they don't necessarily talk about who you have to be until later. So I, I thought, when you're working with people, you re- really needs to be the other way around, because we see people. Sometimes I'm sure all of us have experienced people in a helping position who have not been very helpful. And you think, how did they get here? They're in the wrong place. They they need to go, you know, do something else. And especially for me teaching, um, I've seen some people kind of come in, and I'm saying, you know what? Let's maybe we need to consider another profession for you because you don't seem to like people. So that's why I wanted to start off with the person, um, who you need to be, and and that's what that part of the book really talks about. I had a friend who's a, a mathematician, and he got about a halfway about halfway through the book, and he said, "You know, Eva, I don't know much about social work, and I'm about halfway through the book, and I still don't know anything about social work." <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, the, well, because you know." First, we talk about who you need to be if you're going to be in social work, and then, yeah. um, then we can move into the practice, how social work is practiced. And after, mm-hmm. after that, then you can get the understanding of the technicalities of the profession, you know, qualifying yourself, you know, getting your degree, the ethics, things like that. Um, but it's important, like I said, I and the most amount of time on who you are coming into the profession. And then finally, the point. That's my favorite part of the book. It's the last part of the book, and it's only one chapter. And um, you, you know what the, the theme of it is. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but the, the point is um, it's really love. That's the point. Mm-hmm. That's why we what we do whether you're a social worker, whether you're a life coach, whether you're you know, any kind of coach, really, helping someone else, um, whether you're um, you know, a, a counselor, it doesn't matter. We do what we do out of love. That's really the bare bones of it. When you strip it down, that's the reason why we're doing what we're doing. If it's not the reason why we're doing what we're doing, then we may have to really analyze why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Um, there's not a lot of money that goes along with the profession, so it needs to be something. Well, you know, Eva, I think you, you um, the way that you broke those, session, those sections out was just so beautiful. And the last Heart, you know, the importance of having passion and, you know, the importance of, of understanding why. Why am I here? Why am I doing that? Um, you know, it leads us back into looking into the person. Who, who am I? Right. You know, what am Yeah, so I, you know, that, was, that was awesome. You know, that was awesome. And, and for me, 
your your book is a reference book that um you know for me that that I you know want to keep close to my side so that I can you know use it from time to time just as a check in you know yeah. just as a check in or yeah or even or even um when I'm working with other professionals you know using it as a, as a check in you know where are we at guys how you know how are we how are we you know how right. are we as as we're looking at our at, at our self care at at um you know how we're practicing and and you know how well are we um in in, in alignment in tune with what what's going on in the profession and um you know and you know are we still in alignment with the reason why we're doing what we're doing so i right. thought that was i thought that was really good really good I want to ask you, um, what is self-mastery, and, and why is it important? Well, you know, I I love that term. I didn't make it up myself. <laughs> I got it from Tony Robbins. And um, when I thought, oh, that is, that is awesome, that's an amazing concept. And um, I think to me it's one step up from self-awareness. Because self-awareness leads to, you know, kind of understanding yourself, your triggers, your motivations, um, what inspires you. But I think self-mastery goes beyond just that awareness and moves into being able to um, not just control, but kind of dominate your your thinking and your behavior. So let's use the example of someone who's maybe on a diet and they want that piece of chocolate cake, but they're going to control themselves. They're not going to take it. Even though it's hard, they're not going to take that piece of chocolate cake. That, I think, speaks Mm -hmm. to self-awareness. Whereas self-mastery maybe would say... um, yeah, there's chocolate cake, and chocolate cake is great, and I could have some now, but I'm not going to because I've made a decision that I would rather live a healthy lifestyle for myself and my family than have this piece of chocolate cake right now and shoot up my my blood sugar and, you know, maybe um, erode this path that I'm on to better health. So... Yeah, it's a piece of chocolate cake, but it's not a big deal. I I I am the one in control, and I choose another path. So it's, I think mm-hmm. self-mastery is less about struggle, and it's more about not only that deep sense of awareness, but like I said, having that ultimate control over your mind, over the meaning that you give to things, and mm-hmm. then how you behave from there on out. Okay. So, excuse me, as I hear you talk about self-mastery, I think about focus. You know, I think about the word focus, and, and I'm, I'm hearing that self-mastery is a sense of of, of focus. And, and, and um, you know, it's like if I've got a, a dream or um, a desire, a goal, and I am just so focused on, on you know, on what my goal is, and, and I'm, I'm – to the point where I'm, I'm in the zone, 
you know, I'm in the zone with the with the ability to be able to to carry it out. Um, is, is that another way of looking at it? Absolutely. I just want to make sure, sure I got it right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. I think, cool. and, and I have to say, I think self mastery. I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's ever complete. I think it's an ongoing mm. process. Um, because we're we're like I said before we're dynamic and we're always changing and learning new things about ourselves. Um, but I, think, yeah, I, I think it's an ongoing process. Okay. Now, as I was reading your book and 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 really doing some reflection, uh, a thought came to me, and I want to ask your um, opinion about it. So, in in your estimation. Why do helping professions have such difficulty reaching out for for help themselves? You know, we're so great at helping other people, but, you know, we really often do a a crappy job when it comes to getting the help that we need. Why do you think that is? Mm. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I'll talk about my experience. I think for me it's... uh, and maybe for a lot of us, we we probably don't realize that we're not, you know, doing the best job for ourselves. And and then the other thing is, you know, we're not, um, because we don't focus a lot on ourselves, we're not taught to do that um, anyway. We're taught, you know, mm-hmm. share, with your, share with your brother or your sister and be nice to strangers. And we're taught all of these things to do for other people. We're not necessarily given a lot of uh, focus on what to do for ourselves. You know, someone might say, "Oh, you should get a massage," or, you know, go to take a vacation. But we're we're not really taught the the value of just kind of a an ingrained self wellness program. So I I would say that you know, give you an example. I used to work um, I used to work at a a nursing, a clinic, and my supervisor, who I thought, you know, she was just perfect. She walked on water. But what she did was she, you know, she went to two groups per week, and she had her own therapist, and she exercised, and meditated, and she she did all of these things to maintain wellness. She didn't just do them when she got stressed out. She would, you know, maintain wellness all the time. And I thought I thought that was phenomenal. You know, I, I kind of stressed out over a client one time, and um, she said, you never do that again. Never, ever, ever put a client's well-being over your own because if, you, if something happens to you, then you won't be here to help that client. So you have to put yourself first so that you can help that client. And and that for me was you know like a a huge paradigm shift because everybody had always told me you know you're here to help the client and so you know again I think something that has to be told to us it has to be taught it has to be modeled by those of us that that know better and um, you know I'll talk to some of my colleagues and they'll say oh I know I'm supposed to but you know and mm-hmm. and they're there can't be a but. I mean, for me, I, you know, it was, it was critical enough that I needed to quit my job because I, I mm-hmm. just, I, guess I think because maybe my mom passed when I was so young, 
I was able to see, you know, or recognize pretty early on that, listen, life is short. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not worth stressing yourself out trying to help people when you yourself are not helping yourself. Wow. You know, I really like that because I'm hearing a few things. I'm, I'm hearing the importance of having our own practices um, of self-care um, as a part of our routine. Um, and, I, and I'm also... Mm-hmm. And I really like how you, I really like your perspective that we're not taught to have a, a, a self-care regimen and we're not really um, indoctrinated uh, with the idea of taking care of ourselves first, the importance of putting ourselves first. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you're right. Um, a lot of times I'm made to, you know, I, well, and then I've learned better, but, you know, in you know, growing up, it's like you know, you're selfish if you put yourself first. Don't you, don't you know that you know you should help your brother or you should do this or that? So as as um, as individuals, but especially as helping professions or professionals, um, you know, I do agree that it's so important for us to have practices that we um, that work for us that that help mm-hmm. us um, on our self care journey. Right. Um, and again, and again, I'm saying that in your book, you you know, you give us some you give us some tips and, and some some tools to do that. Hmm. Awesome. Okay, so I want to ask you, um, can you can you talk just a little bit about the prof- about what professional standards are and why they exist? I'm not sure if I asked hmm. you that already. Um. Well, in terms of ethics, yeah, but but you know, we do have. Um, qualifying standards. Let's say, like, you know, lawyers have a, a board that they have to pass mm-hmm. at the bar. Sorry, they have to pass the bar. Um, doctors have to pass um, their boards. So um, professional helpers as well have standards of practice that they have to live up to, that they need to, you know, kind of, I shouldn't say live up to. That's the wrong, that's the wrong. Scratch that. Um, <laughs> they're more, it's more about um, the, and, and um, practices, so the best, best practice scenario, best case scenario in any given situation. So, um, yeah, it, that, that exists, again, um, depending on the culture that you're working in. You may have a variation. So let's say we're maybe impolite to look at someone in their eye um, in, another, in one part of the world. In another part of the world, um, it's impolite not to look someone in their eye and have a firm mm-hmm. handshake. So things like that really help to shape um, how we practice our standards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and, and a lot of that takes research and, and being aware you know, having an awareness that uh, everybody is not like me and then everybody's practices are not like mine, and it doesn't make it wrong if someone else has a different set of practices. But then it's important for me to, to understand uh, the practices that, that I uh, work up under, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to learn other people's practices. You know, uh, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, Eva, um, you are a coach, 
mm-hmm. and a consultant. Can you can you tell us the differences and um, who do you work with? Who do you work with? You're like your ideal clients. <laughs> I um I love working with organizations. I will I do work with you know individuals and small groups, but I love 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 working with organizations who, for the most part, are open to learning and growth. Um, you know, of course. Sometimes you say, well, the people that need you know, coaching the most are the ones that are resistant to it. But I, you know, my ideal client, and I've, I have a couple of them, you know, they're you know, mature people, people that, you know, want to live uh, fulfilled lives. They want to contribute. They want to love. And, and, you know, my requirement as well is I like to work with nice people. No, that sounds a bit general, but um, you know, people who are polite and who are courteous. Um, I like to work with those kind of people because what what you find from those people um, a lot of times is that what I find anyway is that there's a lot of pain, um, a lot of pain in in some area of their lives, and they're looking to. They're really sincerely looking to um, not only kind of relieve or alleviate the pain, but they want to move past the pain so that they can help someone else, not just to to live a better life for themselves, but they really are contributors and they want to help someone else. So those are the types of people I really like to work with. And in terms of, you know, consulting versus coaching, um, what I, boy, because my skills are kind of vary across a wide cross-section where it comes, where it has to do with um, society, so kind of like the social engineering aspect of things as well as individual and personal aspect of things. My consulting mm-hmm. kind of spans the gamut of um, human, human interactions. So let's give you an example. Um, let's say in working with the Jamaica Association of Social Workers, you know, we're working on um, building the association, helping social workers network throughout not only the island but internationally, um, as well as having a a bigger voice within the country of Jamaica. So that's kind of a a national platform. But then I also work with companies, helping them to increase their, their productivity. And a lot of times increasing their productivity while it may come down to the systems that they have working in the organization, a lot of it is communication. And it's usually communication from the top down. So the boss is not talking to the manager or the manager is not talking to the supervisees or, you know, there's some, there's some missing link. And it all has to do with how we relate to each other, how we feel about each other, what we think about each other, these hierarchies, and just kind of getting people on the same page, on that same human page, say, look, you know, your job position can go tomorrow, but this other person that you work mm-hmm. with is the person first. Their job or their responsibility, yes, their responsibility is there, but before that, they're a person first. So if you can tap into the human, the humanity of that person, mm-hmm. you can actually accomplish more in your job function, in your role. 
So it, it, it makes for good business, and it really impacts the bottom line. Hmm. Interesting. And how can we reach you, and how can we purchase your book? Okay. Well, I tell you what. I'm, the book is on Amazon as well as it's on CreateSpace, and you can either type in my name, Eva Ford, with an E, F-O-R-D-E, um, or the title of the book, which is How Not to Practice Social Work. And um, the best way to reach me for most people is probably my email address. is Eva at evaford.com. And I wanted to say, by the way, for your listeners today, um, I wanted to make sure that if they did go to evaford.com, I had a free download for them. So for all your listeners, um, you can go to evaford.com. And if you sign up for the newsletter, um, you will get instant access to free download. It's called the Rich Social Workers Manifesto. I think it's pretty, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, inspiring and motivational. So I hope it is. Awesome. And it does this offer even apply for those who may be listening to the show at a later time? It does. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to keep it up. Great. Okay, great. And I want to ask you, do you have any final words for our listening audience? Well, the the thing that I would um, say, although I know I've said social work maybe a million times today, the book is actually not just for social workers. As a matter of fact, we got a five-star review on Amazon. From, from, in fact, the two five-star reviews that we got on Amazon out of the five um, from non-social workers who, you know, who said that it's, you know, not just for social workers and principles can be applied to anyone in their lives. So I, I do um, I do encourage people to pick it up at a really low price right now and um, just take care of yourselves and um, take care of each other. Really great book, Eva, and really great advice. Thank you so much for being on our show today, and I want you to know that you are welcome back at any time. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Katrina. This has been fun. <laughs> okay, great, great. And we want to thank you, our listening audience, for tuning in to another edition of Positively Affirmative. This is the show where we affirm you with education, information, and resources in the areas of self-care, career development, business building, and Wealth Consciousness, Challenges, and Solutions. I am your host, Katrina Jones, Prosperity Life Coach of Satari Life Skills Institute, where we teach women um, and men, too, how to create positive shifts in their work-life balance so they can become the directors of their own life stories. If you would like more information and coaching resources, please visit my website at prosperitylifecoach.com. Join us every Sunday at 6.30 p.m., bring a friend, and share the prosperity. All right, Eva, have a great week. Thanks, you You're welcome and abundant blessings, everyone. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. 